Remember how we had like a real New York City moment yesterday? Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Where we were at Joe Allen and in walks Victor Garber and Bernadette Peters and Susan Stroman. You guys, these are like Broadway legends. Bernadette Peters, I can't believe it. And her voice cuts through a room (laughs) and Victor Garber is much taller than I Uh thought he would be. Uh And it was just a very like, here we are, Joe Allen having a business lunch and in walks And we were not cool. We were not cool about it. It was the end of the night. I know. So. Can we do a Broadway version of our theme song? Um, okay. Ready? Jillian Pensavale. Patrick Heisman and I, I don't know how what you did is Broadway. So I just went in my comfort zone, right, at what I know. Guys, quick reminder, the 2020 tour, the tickets are going real fast. Yeah. We are probably coming to a city near you. If you want to come see us live, go to our website, click on the CS Live link, get your tickets. I, we're getting a lot of tweets of like, oh no, I like just missed getting tickets and now it's sold yeah. out. And that makes me really sad, but there's nothing I can do about it. I know. Just, it's going to be a, the funnest night in Boston and Philly. We're going to do it with uh, the Maura Murray boys and Maggie. Yep. In DC and Orlando, we're doing with Rabia and Susan. In Seattle and San Francisco, we're doing the Pride Show. Two Pride shows in 20. 20 get after back it. to back unbelievable i know also you guys get in the patreon if you want more jillian and me it's like over 100 full bonus episodes to download right this very second it's such a party we we have something for everybody and if you're not into it that's okay that's fine but if you are interested in hearing for example our episode by episode coverage of the menendez murders or Lacey peterson or lorena or oj simpson madeline mccann yep. making a murderer serial season one the jinx the staircase see there's a lot you guys if you want to join it's patreon.com slash you come obsessed or go to our website click on on the Patreon link. Yeah. And we love you. Have fun, everybody. Yeah, enjoy. Have, be safe out there. Be safe out there. <laughs> and listen to our podcast if you want to. If you want to. If you want to. No fresh. Girl, here we are at part two of Dirty John. The Dirty Truth. <laughs> but his name, like his nickname was Filthy John. Like, I know. Why do people do this? Some focus group was like, you know what? We prefer dirty to filthy. Like, shut up. Tell the story. Shut up, focus group. Shut up. Focus group. Yes, focus group. Focus group. <laughs> Newport Beach, number one. I need an ambulance right away. Someone's been stabbed. It's a girl. Do you see blood? Yes. I felt like I caused this. This is the last thing I ever wanted to happen. There are life and death stakes in this story. Many women were terrorized. I met John online. He made me feel wonderful. It was the best feeling in the world. His profile said that he was single, a doctor, everything you want to see in a man. John was very attractive, very, very charming. John Meehan was a serial predator. He went from victim to victim. I knew he was trying to hurt my mom, hurt my family. He said I was a whore and a bitch, and I was going to pay for what I did. He broke me in half. I was a good person. Hi, Mom. He's going to turn on you and destroy your life. John is the most dangerous, devious individual that I ever prosecuted. I was worried that John was going to kill me to try to get the money. Inside the backpack, he had a revolver, hundreds of rounds of ammo. I knew that John was capable of murder. One of the lessons of this story is that monsters don't always look like monsters. John Meehan was a psychopath, but he knew right from wrong, and he chose wrong. You enjoy your time left on this earth, okay? John was evil. This guy grabbed me by the waist. 
back I, to Deb. Remember Deb? Yeah. Deb is like the main player of like the ladies of the story. Right, because she's the last person he scammed. Really. Exactly. So it's 2015. It's like 13 years after the last action of the last episode. Right. So like by the time he marries Deb, and also it was a secret wedding and she didn't tell anyone in her family because she knew they were all going to get mad at her because for the last two months, because they've only known each other two months before they got married, both of her daughters have been screaming and saying he's lying and we hate him. Please listen to us. That's where we are. Right. And in case you're wondering, her daughter Jacqueline is still in shadow. Yes. Jax has no time for this. Also, she's famous now, so we know who you are, Jacqueline. But whatever she wants to do. So Deb Deb talks about how he used to say to her, like, you have it so good. You have no idea. I'm so good to you. No one else would treat you this way. John was the perfect husband. He doted and he would tell me all the time, you have it so good. I am so good to you. I heard that and I was like, bitch, what? Remember when you moved into my fucking house? Right. Remember when I paid all the bills? Oh, I know. Why would anybody tolerate anybody saying that to them? Because he's groomed her at this uh-huh. point. It only oh, took I hate two months. That word, I know it's, it's true. true. And she was very vulnerable. But she would say, like, you know what? You're right, John. You are. It's unfucking believable. She believed it. So it's during this time that we find out that John and Jacqueline, I want to call her Jacqueline, but I don't think that's how she probably says it. But if you're saying Jax, can I call her Jacqueline? Sure, do whatever. Okay. So during this time, John and Jacqueline really start despising each other? So John told me you better not be seeing your daughter. So I would sneak to go see her. Like, what is happening? You know, the thing I have to remember is what you just said a minute ago is that she's been groomed. And I have to find it in my heart to make room for that because you try telling me at 50 years old that I can't go fucking see Daisy. See how that goes for this relationship. Right. And I understand that it's a thing that I don't understand. I get that it's real and this really happens to people. It just makes me fucking furious. I know. And you and Jacqueline, you guys agree. Yeah. So she decides, taking matters into her own probably perfectly manicured hands, She puts a tracker on his car. I was determined to get evidence. He was spying. So we put a tracker on John's car. I was curious about everything that he did. I loved it when Jacqueline tracked his car. I thought at least someone's doing the dirty work. I just have in huge letters, she put a fucking tracker on his car. It's amazing. I am obsessed with her. It's amazing. I would be too scared to do that. Unbelievable. Let the women do the work. Always. Thank you. And the thing that I thought was so amazing was like this fucking guy, John, who's like savvy. He's a con man. He's been doing this for 25 years. Never thinks to look to see if anyone's put a tracker on his car. We see it. It's the size of a smoke detector. I know. It's not like a little chip. So here's what John would do all day. He would hit up three or four doctor's offices in one day. Sometimes he would only be at these places for 30 minutes. My theory was he was getting different drugs at different doctors. And then he would go home, be on the TV playing video games, be sleeping for like 14 to 16 hours straight. And so Jacqueline asked Deb, Mom, Yeah. I have some information here. Let me ask you something like, just level with me here. If you knew for a fact that John was lying to you and I could prove it to you, would you still love him? Uh-huh. Deb says yes. Yes. And then, and then, and then. This is the thing where I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do with these people. Because yeah. John- <laughs> What are we going to do with you, what are we gonna, girls? Right. John installs security cameras inside the house in every room. So he could watch Deb. And Deborah knows this and allows it. And I really don't know how to feel about that. I don't either. In her own home. Yeah, it's a she home bought. that she bought that he moved himself into. He's installing security cameras so he can keep an eye on her. But what John didn't realize is, yes, he was watching me, but I could also watch him. So he would leave for work in his scrubs and come back an hour later uh, when I was gone and 
go up to the room and lay down, spend the day playing video games or on his computer. I didn't want to believe it by any means, but that's when I started seeing something's not right. I didn't want to believe it, but that's when I thought that maybe, perhaps, I could possibly, maybe entertain the idea of him lying. And what does she do with this information? She doesn't do anything. She doesn't ask him about it. She's like, hmm, I do love him, though. So, one day... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You guys, it just gets crazier. She's getting the mail. He let her out for those five (laughs) minutes for fresh air. And she sees that there's this letter from an inmate to John. And she basically shrieks in the middle of the driveway. And rips it open in broad daylight in the middle of the street. And she's reading it, and he's so happy for John and this inmate. And John, and he's like, you know, you turned your life around. Because remember when we were in A Block together, things weren't going so well for (laughs) you. So I'm so glad that everything's going well for you. John is in his, like, Dr. Evil lair (laughs) watching all of the cameras. You guys remember all the cameras in the house? He's watching her. There's cameras inside. He can pretty much watch me wherever he was. John walks up, grabs the letter, says, you've just committed a felony. You opened up my mail. And I said, John, who is this guy? He says, how dare you open up my mail? You are so wrong. I could have you arrested for this. This is a level of gaslighting. I know. That is truly unbelievable. (laughs) And what he ends up, quote, explaining, and he's like, you know what, Deb? (laughs) I send care packages to prisoners, okay? (laughs) And you're out here committing felonies left and right reading my mail when I am really trying to make these guys have a better day. Uh And Deb, with a straight goddamn face, says to us, I thought, oh, well, that's a kind thing. Oh, well, that's a kind thing. Deb, Deb. Deb. But anyway, back to Jack's Jacqueline and the tracker on the car. And she sees she I guess, you know, she has her little the screen that shows like beep, 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 totally. that shows where the car is. She's like watching it. She realizes that the car is across the street from her high rise because John is now following her. It's just unfucking real. And she goes, I did not know what John Meehan was going to do, but somebody needed to stop him. So now her intention, and same with Tara, it's less about trying to get their, I'm sorry, dumb mom (laughs) to care about their livelihood and Uh what they're telling her. And it's more about, this is bigger than us. Yeah. We need, he needs to be stopped. Like, this is crazy. She put a tracker on his car. I cannot get over it. I know. Now we're going back in time again. So we're going two years earlier. Now we're in 2013. Yeah. So if you guys are paying attention, the stories are catching up to each other. Right. So it's it's Marilade Anderson. And we learn she's like a super famous badass writer from Brazil. She's like a gajillionaire. We are told by this woman, Detective Julia Bowen, who I'm obsessed with. I love her. That Marilade went and had brain surgery. In, in April of 2012. She woke up the next morning in a haze. There was a man by her bedside and he was wearing scrubs and he identified identified himself as her anesthesiologist. And who's like hitting on her the second she comes to. They like set a date. She's still in the hospital bed. (laughs) After meeting in the hospital, they started a relationship. Marilade was very vulnerable. She just had brain surgery. She's going through a divorce with her husband. John and Marilade's email exchanges were very flirtatious and very calculated in, in the way that he's grooming her to divulge her most intimate information. So we see these emails, like the actual emails. Yeah. And they get, like, it, in the span of minutes, they're from very flirtatious, like, I'm sure you look so pretty today, to just like, I love you. 
I need to marry you. Which again, like we've heard the story before. That's also how I courted Steve. I'm just saying that's how I that's how I courted my husband. Great. Here's something I promise you didn't happen with you and Steve. Marilee tells John, look, I have some money in an account in Brazil, but for some reason I can't transfer it to my U.S. bank account. Right. But she's like, do you think like it's like thirty eight million dollars and I really want it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. (laughs) What? Thirty eight million dollars. So John says, I got you, girl. He's like, yeah. cool, 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 cool." John told her he had a free bank account and that he could take all of her money she was going to be transferring $37 million into John Meehan's bank account. I have a free bank account, whatever that is. A free, I have a free email address, too. Right, that I could sell you. Totally. Like, come on. So he's like, why don't you just transfer all $38 million and to like, me? Two days post-brain surgery, middle of divorce, Marilade is like, girl, that sounds like a great idea, actually. She does it. So then she's like, probably breakfast margs. Right. Because all these women like deserve the breakfast margs. Totally. So she's with her friend and her friend's like, hey, girl, how's that cool 38 mil you got burning a hole in your bank account? She's like, oh, it's actually going really well. I transferred every single penny of the $38 million to this guy I, I met, just met an hour after I woke up from brain surgery. And the friend is all of us going, what? No! What are you crazy? No! So she merrily, to her credit, pulls out her phone. She stops the transaction and she says to camera, it never got to him. Right. Thankfully. Now, every single time it's like, oh, I'm getting some stupid alert. Like there was a high spending thing on my credit card. You guys, this is why we have it. Exactly. Be thankful for it. You know, having $38 million in the bank is very relatable. Very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still groggy from the brain surgery. Let me transfer every penny of the thirty-eight million. You can't do it a hundred grand at a time just to be safe. Thirty a hundred grand pocket change for thirty-eight million. Thirty-eight million dollars. So Marilade stops the transfer. Thank God that friend is the real hero. Totally. Who is she? Guess who's really fucking mad though? Hmm. John. John loses it. And he's like, I Can you imagine being John though and you're this close to that lady's thirty eight million dollars? The transaction is in process. It's like the little dot. Oh my god. Watching refresh, refresh. It probably said like pending in his account. You know? And you're just like, come on. Oh my god. One business day. I'm gonna get it. So he doesn't. And he is like, hey, I'm going to kill you now. Or you can pay me $37,000 and I'll stop harassing you. And then poor Marilade is like, he got really mean really fast, you guys. Yeah, all over 38 mil. And I'm like, well, he did think that that pending was going to go away in one to two business days. So she's like, no, I'm not just going to give you 37,000. I know I said like a very quick yes to the 38 mil. But after the haze of the brain surgery wears off, she's like, what was I thinking? So John takes it very well and he breaks into her home. (laughs) This is just so fucking crazy. And so she calls the cops and then the cops are like, we can't find him though. He made himself kind of like a ghost. During the course of the investigation, we learned from Marilade that he had all these physical ailments. He had a chiropractor in Palm Desert. It was kind of a shot in the dark, but went to this chiropractic office and sat in our uh, unmarked car. They stake out the chiropractor office. And in five minutes, who shows up? John. And she's like, uh, I went up to John and badged him. Yes. <laughs> yes, Julia yes, Bowman. Yes, Julia. We arrested him for burglary, extortion, stalking. 
Inside of the car, we found paperwork for an office building and an RV in Cathedral City. We go to the trailer and it looks like it's out of uh, Breaking Bad. They go to this RV and she says it was right out of Breaking Bad. They go in and there are vials and hypodermic needles mm-hmm. all over the floor. And it's filthy. Oh. And she's like, but there was a computer. And the entire wallpaper is hundreds of JPEGs of women. Clicking on the pictures of the women, I immediately start to recognize them, either as Marilade or previous girlfriends, his wives. You click on any one of these women and all of the information about what he did to them comes up. Which means he didn't organize them in folders. Right. Like that stresses me out where you just look at the desktop and it's just like icon upon icon upon icon and like organize it. Don't look at my desktop, girl. I won't. Don't Mike, look at Super it. Super husband Mike does the same thing. I'm like, how do you live like this? I know. How do you find anything? I know. It's horrible. I know. I don't know how you live. I just can't. It's all folders now. It's you have to be different. careful with the folders too, though. Then what? it's folders upon folders and now it's just like a sea of folders. It's a too? sea of folders. God damn it. <laughs> We have bigger fish to fry. We do, we do, we do. Because they leave this RV, they're like, well, let's go to this office that he's renting. But leaving the RV, they're like, we have all we need. Right. Let's see if we have like some bonus prizes at, right. the, at the office space. <laughs> they go to the office space. I, I actually thought this was going to be darker than it was. Yeah. Because the only thing that they have in this office warehouse that he's renting is a refrigerator. Right, but then it gets super dark. It gets dark, but I was expecting like body parts. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was expecting like heads to roll out of the freezer. I'm really glad that that didn't happen. No, me too, me too, me too. Open the refrigerator and there's a backpack. Open the backpack and inside the backpack there is a revolver, there's hundreds of rounds of ammo, there's a bottle of cyanide capsules. Pretty much a very complete killing and kidnapping kit. It's a killing and kidnapping kit. Oh. Yeah. So it's July 2013 and Detective Julia contacts the domestic violence DA. Right. Because she's like, I have a lot here. And they want to throw the book at John. Right. And also Marilade hightails it the hell out of this country. She's like, I don't want to be involved. I'm gone. But that's the problem. They want to throw the book at John, but they also know that Marilade is their only witness. And she, her friends are like, you in danger, girl. Yeah. You got to get the hell out of that country. Right. And she's like, okay, I'm out. So it's another lucky break for John. We're like, it's not Marilade's fault. Girl, go. Go. Like, no, I, no, no, I, no. Go, get go, out go, of go, here. Go. But if she had stayed and she had been able to help prosecute him he would have gotten serious jail time right so instead he only gets two years right because they have you know felon in possession of a firearm burglary stalking like right. kind of low-level stuff for what he was actually doing yeah don't but all that stuff's really bad by the way don't uh, do don't that do don't do that it. shit don't, oh my god, god don't uh, <laughs> i know i know like it feels so easy like it feels so <laughs> obvious but clearly we would like put us out of work i'm telling you i want a t-shirt that says put me out of business put me out of business put me out of business stop being horrible yeah so he's sentenced to two years and two months after sentencing Julia, the detective who badged him, who badged him like the badass she is, <laughs> learns that like from prison, John has put a hit out on her for $10,000. At the same time this was going on, my boyfriend and I had both felt that someone was following us home. Several times I would see a, the same car right on my bumper. And then as I get out of my car, the car would stop in front of our house. We started putting firearms around the house so that we would be able to defend ourselves. And then Julia, this badass woman, admits in a way a man never would. Never. That she's having nightmares about John, like showing Absolutely. up at her. I mean, this is this is how you terrorize people. Right. So she's just living like this now. Right. We're back to 2015. John gets out of prison. It takes him two days to meet Deb online. So remember, two days. remember the beginning when John and Deborah meet, they meet online and he's a doctor and she's On the a, website, our time for yeah. the over 50 crowd. We find out now, and of course Deborah doesn't know, that that was two 
days after he got out of jail. So you you say it. We both want to say it, but you say it. So remember in the beginning when he like really loved laying on her bed? And she was like, I'm not that kind of girl. We ended up walking back to my home. He went straight to my bedroom and laid on my bed. I just looked at him and I said, oh no, uh uh-uh. You need to leave. And I said, that's not who I am. He was very persistent. Kept saying, just let me lay here a little bit longer. And she's looking back on it now. It's like the smartest thing she says in this whole thing. Because she's like, he didn't have a, he was homeless and just got out of sleeping on a concrete slab for two years. That's why he loved being in my bed. He had nowhere to go. He had nowhere to go. And it felt real nice to be, you know, she has like the, like the best bedding ever. Oh, of course. It's super comfy. Of course. So now like John and Deb are married. She's totally isolated from her family, but she, you know, she saw the letter from the inmate. She sees all the stuff on the cameras. Like everything is saying, get out. I started missing my family so incredibly much. John was really trying to control my life and everything in it. So guess what, though? He gets a bowel obstruction. (laughs) Right. So this is kind of like, wait, what? So John is scheduled to have surgery on his back. Yeah. Whether that's real or not or a way to get drugs, I don't know. Because he said the same thing in Mexico. Remember when he was shooting up drugs in his toes? And he gets the girlfriend to take him to the hospital because he's got back problems? Gross. Yeah. So the night before, he gets a bowel obstruction. Which I don't know what that is, but I'm really glad that he got it. It means he can't poop. Yeah. But like in a really serious way. Right. (laughs) It's like a really, like you have to go to the hospital. Like for real. How do you know when it's really serious? I don't know. I stopped Googling when I was like, okay, I get the gist of what this is. Moving on. We're not going to focus on this for more than 30 seconds on the app. So I just, I X'd out. Again, your Goog history. It's, it was a pretty safe week, honestly, in the in the history of my Goog like, history. How long does it take for a body to decompose in a trunk? You didn't have to do that this week? No, like plus chloroform. That I, was a really dark, dark time. And it's going to live forever. Like it's on my yeah. record forever. Yeah, it's true. How Like when does a body start to smell? That was horrible. That was a really bad time in my life. So this bowel obstruction, whatever, is so bad that he actually has to go to the hospital like like on not his terms. Right. Because yes. Deb's like, girl, like poop. Like, I, poop it. <laughs> poop it out, you know? And uh-huh. so she brings him to the hospital. And good for her for not laughing when she tells this story. <laughs> she right. tells it with a straight face. <laughs> so now because it was an actual emergency. Good, good for her for good not Good on you, Deb. <laughs> Look, everybody poops. Of course. The body is a weird, crazy thing. <laughs> Things <laughs> happen. If I, this is really going to help me with my not apologizing for sneezing. If yeah. I'm like, the body's going to do, <laughs> I can't understand it. Uh-huh. Sometimes you have to poop. Anyway, so because this is like an actual emergency and it's sort of out of his control. Yeah. It ends up that Deb now has his phone. Yeah. He's at the hospital. She's not staying. She's not doing that thing where you snuggle up next to the person in the hospital bed. She's like, fuck that. Absolutely. I'm going home. <laughs> right. So also, this is also like, Deb, you knew that this was bad news and you just didn't want to believe it. Because what's the first thing she does? She gets his phone and starts a scrolling. She starts a scrolling. <laughs> and I saw all these different women. And I started snapping shots of it, of his phone. I was a thousand percent heartbroken, felt betrayed. I just, it was hard. 
she says she felt heartbroken and betrayed. I get it. Like, I look she's if, devastated. If she's just gonna like go along to get along, and she's bought into this nonsense, and she's been brainwashed, I can see when you're confronted with actual evidence, mm-hmm. it would be devastating. I agree. Can I just say something? Of course. The thing that finally got her to care is the fact that he was cheating on her, not right. any of the other lies. Yes. It still feels superficial to me. Totally. And so she's all devastated. She needs her best friends, her daughters. <laughs> so the first people she calls Jax, and she's like, "Okay, I believe you now." But this is the other thing that makes me crazy. Jacqueline comes over to the house, and they go through his office. This makes me crazy because this is the first time we find out that he has an office that they've never gone through. Right. What? She did put a tracker on his car, though. <laughs> Jacqueline did, yes. They go into his office and they find the goddamn truth. The papers show that John has numerous names, numerous social security numbers, and it's stating all these different, I think there were seven or nine restraining orders against him from stalking to choking to drugs. I mean, there were so many and this is where one of the police people tells us like it was pathological he had to keep this information on him because it was his trophies a hundred percent i mean it's like how easy would that be to have like a lockbox somewhere like you're just gonna leave it in the house where your wife lives or your filthy car (laughs) but he also has like passwords and like spyware and Uh like all this like software on his computer so deb finally is like I guess he wasn't that great of a guy and I'm like just say he's like an evil person and she says like I was just his latest victim so Deb finally because you know Jacqueline is like now I see now I'm doing it (laughs) Jax is like mom do you see what I'm saying yeah and she's like yes so we gotta go Deb makes a run for it she's like I scrambled grabbed all my stuff and moved away and now like almost like as quickly as it all happened she's like we're getting a divorce I'm moving (laughs) now she's like at a hundred about it I realize I need to end this marriage so I get this lawyer um, to be able to file an annulment. We decide that he's dangerous and we also change my will and make sure that he knows that my kids are getting my money. I was worried that John was going to kill me to try to get the money because I had married him. So wait, hang on a second. You wrote your fucking will so that your deadbeat husband you've known for two months gets your money and your kids don't? Right. But then also she's saying like, we needed to make it clear to him that the money was in my kid's name so that he wouldn't kill me for the money. Right. Because that's what she's afraid of now. Right. Because they're married. Right. So he would get it. So now John is in the hospital and the doctors are like, have you pooped yet? And he's Uh like, I don't know. I have this (laughs) obstruction. And so he's realizing like everything is spiraling out of control with him. Right. He becomes uh, a totally different person. He becomes extremely menacing, begins insulting her via text and email. She sees a side of him that uh, I don't think she uh, had glimpsed before. John sent nasty text messages to me that I'm a liar, that he'll get even that I stole his money. He was turning things around and making it look like I was the bad guy and he was the good guy. Every time I think it's the worst gaslighting I've ever seen, he like he does it again. So now, because this is so terrifying, the cops that Deb is working with, they're like, look, you need to change your appearance because now he's super mad. This is so crazy. So she's like vacated the house. She's like moving from hotel to hotel near her job every single day. Uh-huh, having and- like her assistant like right. go out in the outside. She kind of loves the drama of it. One thing that I had to do was disguise myself. And they said, don't be conspicuous. I had to get a dark wig. I had to get plain clothes. 
You don't want to be noticed. You have to blend in with the crowd. That was something that I had to do. I put on this long black wig, changed my makeup up. Just my life changed at that point. She was like, well, I, I had to get plain clothes. She says plain clothes. It was really the worst thing I'd ever gone through. I had to have, you know, boring hair, get my nails done, be plain. This is what I had to do. She's horrified that she had to look like a commoner. She's wearing a wig. She goes on and on for five minutes about this long wig she so has to boring. wear. boring. This is what I'm dealing with, everybody. I'm like, no, he wants to murder you and your daughters. But yeah, you had to wear some boring mom jeans for a week. Give me a break. So then he's like, okay, so the gaslighting and threatening her life isn't working. Uh huh. So one day he just calls her and he's super nice to her. And he's like, I can explain. You know, uh-huh. they, they call this hoovering in oh. like abusive relationships. Oh, really? Where they're horrible and then they try to suck you back in like Hoover, like oh the my vacuum. Oh, God. So that's what he's doing to her. He's hoovering her now. And he's saying like, yes, I was, I did go to jail, but I was framed. He goes, I couldn't bear telling you I was so in love with you. I thought you wouldn't date me if you knew that. What he told me about the awful text that he had sent me is that he was drugged. He had so many drugs in his system, he was out of his mind. I was drugged. It was. I was in the hospital, and they were. The, it was. It was my bowel. It was my poop. Drugs. I couldn't poop, and also I have MS now. <laughs> he said I have no one, and I have MS, and I have nowhere to go. Deb buys this hook, line, and sinker. Right, and he's even like, don't give up on me because remember, I'm the best thing that's ever happened to you. Don't what leave me. What on earth? Yeah. Deb buys it. Yeah, because he's he's doing that thing where it's like he's doubling down on it so hard. He's like, I'm going to get a lawyer. I'm going to prove to you that I was telling you the truth. And it's like that cheating boyfriend who's like, look through my phone. There's nothing there. Right. When everything is there. Right, right, right. To make you feel crazy. That's what he's doing to her. So Deborah goes to the hospital to see him. She's explaining the scene of him just like sobbing. I'm just thinking like, okay, I've worked through my my seven stages with Deborah, so I'm sort of at the acceptance stage that she's she's about to take him back, and I don't understand what she has been through in her life that makes her do this. I don't understand it. I know. And then we get from our experts here, and yeah. it kind of cuts us down a little bit because yeah. it's like you know, on average, it takes a woman seven times to leave their abuser. So Laura tells us that yeah. the hot British Laura tells yeah. us that, and that really did. I had I rewound it. I had to listen to it again. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's just so heightened here. Oh yeah, because he will kill her. And you have the evidence in your hands. You found the social security numbers and the applications for the semi-automatic weapons. And, and the, the vials names and the this and the, and the Yeah, that. like you have the the evidence is in your house. And your daughter is begging you like, mom, can you open your eyes please for us, I for know. our relationship, please. So I think that I want to say to everybody who's told the story, the podcast, the articles, the documentary, give us a little bit more of Deb's backstory. Yeah. Because there's no way as a viewer who hasn't experienced something like this, you can't be mad at her. And I know that we can't be mad at her because sure. she's a victim here. I need to know more. I need to know more about why she is uh, susceptible to this. Right. Because they only knew each other for two months and the daughters on day one were like, mom, it's not like she was isolated from the beginning. Right. You know what I mean? She did have people in her life saying, this is bad. Right. Immediately. He's walking out the door in those ripped up dirty scrubs. He's not going to a hospital for work. And turning around an hour later, I have the tracker. Right. But Deb's a romantic and she tells us. You don't fall right out of love when you have fallen in love. It's not quite that easy. On one hand, I'm in love with this man, and he's got to answer for everything. On the other hand, there's evidence. It's like, here's the head, and here's the heart. And they don't work together very well. 
So, you guys, Deb gets back together with John secretly. So, she tells us immediately, like, he's back in the house and things are just going right fucking downhill again. Yeah. And then we're right back to him trying to re-isolate her. One person he despised was Jacqueline. He saw me as a threat and I saw him as a threat. He told me that if I went and I talked to her, he would make sure she was thrown in the ocean and never come out. You guys. And then she tells us, this is the last drive. This is when I knew I had to go. So Deb, she knows that on some level, she's got to protect herself. Yeah. So she has this nest egg. She's been hiding money for herself. Right. And also she wants to try to cut him off financially to limit his resources for like hitmen and like drugs. <laughs> right. And all the stuff that he's into. <laughs> because we never really get the, an answer about like, is, does he have a job? Is he getting paid? Or is he just living off of her? No, I think he's playing video games and sleeping for 14 hours a day as per my previous email right. and the tracker <laughs> and the surveillance footage. Exactly. Exactly. So And so Deborah is literally hiding bundles of hundred dollar bills around the house. Right. So he finds the money, he comes storming in, he's like throwing the money at her. Yeah. And he says, What are you doing? And I looked at him and I said, It's my money. And he says, Technically it's both of our money. And started bullying me. And he says, I want you to hit me. I want you to hit me. He goes, If you hit me, you will never get up again. That moment took my breath away. Well, the thing is, this is when Deb's like, okay, so I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm going to leave. I'm sure there were a hundred other things that were worse than that or on the same level, but yeah. it, she heard it when she heard it. Right. And she left. And that's really all we can be happy <laughs> we, about. We see in the reenactment video, she like runs up the stairs and gets a suitcase and like throws some blouses in it and like runs out the front door. It's, that must be terrifying. I know. That someone actually just threatened to kill you. Yeah. And then now you have to leave knowing full well that he is capable of doing this. Leave your own goddamn house. That you paid for. That you paid for. Girl. So, we come to find out that Deb has a house in Vegas that she's like building. Right, because she's also, she's had like a lot of work in Vegas. Yes. So she was splitting her time between California and Vegas. So she like has a little bit of a, of a solace there. Yeah, and there had been a time that she tried to get him to like live there and it didn't really work out. But she knows that like she's got stuff in that house and she's got to like get there and get it all out of there. I grabbed the suitcase, took off, drove to Jacqueline's and we got in the car we went to Vegas to get anything we could out of the house that was mine. So they go to the house and they're filming everything. Again, smartly saying like, I, we're not stealing. You have like a shoebox worth of bullshit here because you stayed here for five seconds. And also the house looks like the inside of his car. The ha- there's like milk cartons. There's no furniture anywhere. There's pizza boxes. This man is a fucking animal. He's a slob. He's disgusting. Don't, that's like mean to animals. Don't do that. I know. He's a slob. <laughs> You're but right. what they're doing is because they know he's going to go fly off the handle. They're filming him saying like, see, we're leaving all your pizza boxes, John. We see this home video. Exactly. It's crazy. Which is like, it's heartbreaking she has to do it, but I'm glad they did it. Yeah. You know Jax has been googling how to how to leave an abusive totally. relationship and knew what to do. I left John all his you all, all your stuff. I know your watches are in here, John. Don't worry. Okay, I have a video of everything. My other thing, too, is where is John? Like, I'm afraid he's going to show up. I'm afraid he's standing right behind this wall while we're recording. Me, too. But that's why the urgency, you could feel and hear and sense the urgency in this video. And they're like, yeah. you got everything? You got <laughs> it? No, I got it. We got it. And really, that's how it is. I can hear myself because at one point, Jacqueline is, like, leaving the garage before the mom. You have your keys. You have your phone. I have everything. Let's go. Yeah. Mom! Mom! Look, like, I could hear myself screaming at my mother, like, we gotta go! 
I mean, it's so, so terrifying. Yeah. So then, whatever, because John's going to John, he then, in retaliation, sets Deborah's car on fire. So Deborah has um, multiple cars. And we. Privilege. <laughs> She's like, I just, that's my office car. I just leave this one at yeah. the office. Yeah. When John burned my car up, the private investigator said, this is getting serious. And he thought about me getting a bodyguard. It cuts to Deb going, dot, dot, dot. I didn't. <laughs> Deb. Just like for I know. your own safety. Like when the cops are telling, like, please, a he's bodyguard. setting your car on fire. Again, though, can we just talk about fucking rich people problems? Like a bodyguard. I know. And she's like, and, but look at all the plain mom jeans I had to buy. Right, exactly. That's the real tragedy. But we learn again, like from our, our gorgeous, smart expert and Deborah herself. And she's like, look, I tried to go to the cops. Yeah. But they were really annoyed at me because I didn't have a scratch on me. So if I don't have a black guy, I must not be in an abusive relationship. And there was nothing they could do about it. Here's my thing about that, though, Deborah. I get it. She really is trying to explain to us that she tried to get some like help on a domestic violence. This happens front. all the time. But Deborah, you also have all the passports and the social security numbers and the drugs and like you have evidence that he's broken the, the restraining order. Like that wasn't clear when Deborah said that. I guess that's true. But my thinking is like if you need to get this guy arrested, I think you got enough. Right. I think you have enough actual hard evidence, at least in the timeline that we're being told this story, to go get this guy fucking arrested. Right. Well, guess what? What? Here we are, August 20th. (laughs) This is when things get just so bonkers. Yeah. So this is when Tara comes back. Tara comes back. And you guys, we're off and running. Yeah. So Tara goes to work from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. So Tara drives home. She pulls into like her parking garage, Mm -hmm. which is like open air. You can see into it. Okay. When I pulled into the parking garage, I looked over and this car was backed up into a space. I saw this guy with a tire iron. I get out of my car, I walk around, and this guy grabbed me by the waist. He looked me in the eyes and said, do you remember me? It was John. Do you remember me? Yeah. It's also like, John, didn't you just see her like a weekend ago? But that's a, such a menacing thing. Uh-huh. Right? This is the moment. They all said this was going to happen. He's coming after one of us. And right from this moment, she is in a fight for her fucking life. I knew I was in trouble. I knew he was going to try to kill me. He's trying to push me towards his car. His trunk is open. I fight him as hard as I can. I'm kicking, I'm fighting. And so he has a knife. He's yeah. trying to throw her in the trunk. And we hear from one of the detectives and they're like, she did everything right. When someone tries to get you in a car or yeah. anything, you kick and you scream and you fight for your life. And that's exactly what she did. You guys, it's the middle of the day. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. And so remember people can see into the parking garage. Yeah. All of a sudden we meet this girl, Skylar. Who was like 14 at the time. Right. She's saying that she's looking down into this parking garage. I saw a man holding a knife knife and a woman screaming. He was raising a knife, bringing it down over and over. I told my mom to call 911 and tell them that somebody was being stabbed. She's saying to her mom, she's like, uh, mom, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. You need to call 911. I'm running into this knife fight. Right. So John is screaming. Tara is screaming. Yeah. There's a knife happening. So this is where, remember when I was like, the two things I remember from the podcast yeah. were not mentioned here. Yes. So what's also happening is Tara's dog named Cash, which is not, we don't have time. <laughs> Um, is also there barking up a storm and trying to rip John off of Tara. Is that right? So the dog is barking, John is screaming, Tara's screaming, there's a knife. It's just, it's you can't ignore these sounds. Also, it's one o'clock in the afternoon in this super fancy neighborhood. Yeah. Like, people are going to pay attention. Right. 
So John drops the knife. And it landed exactly right next to me on my right hand side. I didn't even give it a second thought, picked up the knife, and I started willing back on him. I know it's either him or me. I'm stabbing him with all my might. I was fighting for my life. And she does what is known as the zombie stab, and she stabs him in the eye. So let me, this is another thing. Uh-huh. We learned throughout Dirty John, the, the podcast, that Tara was, like, obsessed with the zombie apocalypse. Right, that's not mentioned in this documentary at all, but and I remember it from important. the podcast. Yeah. She loved The Walking Dead. Yeah. She was actually, for real, preparing to survive a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. If you've watched a single five seconds of any zombie movie in your life, you know that you kill them by stabbing them in the brain. Yeah. So what Tara did was all of this prep for the zombie apocalypse is what saved her life. And remember, Tara is 125 pounds. And 19 years old. And 19. John is 240 pounds. And saw this coming a mile away. (laughs) He begins falling on top of me and he gasped. I stabbed him once, like right here. And then I stabbed him in the eye. I just start screaming. Tara takes the knife and stabs him through the fucking eye. Piercing his brain. Piercing his brain. The dog is barking, pulling him off the 14-year-old neighbor. It is a bonkers. bonkers. He's done. And then she sort of rolls him off of her. Skylar, the neighbor, picks her up, calls the police. We hear the 911 call. Yep. Hi, I need an ambulance right away and the police. What address? Um, someone's been stabbed and he attacked a girl. It's a girl and her dog and then a guy is on the ground. Um... I'm not really sure what happened. We just heard her screaming. Is he blood? Yes. The police show up in this parking garage and we see the fucking dash cam. And we hear her. Yes. We hear Tara saying, I need to get away from him. He's dead. He's on the ground. Tara can't believe that he's not going to jump up. She's traumatized. Of course. It's crazy. There's the dog at her feet. Right. Hey, girl. <laughs> girl, we did it. We did it. So then Tara calls Deborah. Oh, my God. And says the following sentence. <laughs> Mom, I killed your husband. I killed him. And I get this call. And it's Tara screaming, Mom, I killed your husband. I killed your husband. I'm like, what? So now Tara is in the hospital being questioned and taken care of because she has a lot of wounds here. He, yeah. he, he did stab her. For sure. And the dog is in every photo uh-huh. that we see in the hospital bed. Uh-huh. Oxygen, please. <laughs> John is also in the hospital so, on life support. I don't remember if this is in the podcast or not, but mm-hmm. I didn't realize John survived. Like, so, hardly. Barely, but he's still alive. So Deborah shows up to the hospital to see her daughter, which takes hours because, of course, she's just killed a man, so she's being questioned. Right. And then Deborah tells us she has to go identify John's body. Remember, they're still married. Yep. And then, and then we see Tanya, his first wife. Right. Tanya's like, I was at home when I got the call that this all happened, and I knew that Deborah had given the decision of, like whether to pull the plug or not right. on John's life support to the sisters. So Deborah wasn't even in charge of that. Right. So this all happened. The big fight, the knife fight happened on August 20th. Yeah. By August 24th, John has taken off life support. Yeah. And he wasn't coming back anyway. Like like she stabbed his brain. You guys. Can we take a second? And I just want to give all the fucking hero bells. It's incredible. For what Tara did. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And Tanya, his first wife says, I've been predicting for a long time that this was going to end in a big ball of fire. John would be killed at the hands of someone's husband, brother, or father. I never imagined that he would fall to the hands of, you know, a five foot two 
girl fighting for her life. I thought it was poetic justice. I fucking loved this quote so much. I mean, the thing about Tara, and we were saying this in episode one, it's easy for Jacqueline, for Tara, even for Deb, it's easy to make caricatures out of these women because they don't sound like us on the East Coast. They sound like California girls. They're pretty, they're blonde. Mm -hmm. They sound they a little- They check all the boxes, right? Yeah. They're privileged. They have the little Tiffany bracelets. Totally. You know, come on. And I mean, this girl fought for her fucking mm -hmm. life and killed this man. Yep. I mean, to me, it is just like the power of the human spirit, yeah. man. You know? And you know, the thing is too, I don't necessarily believe in the term like guilty pleasure. Uh -huh. You know how many people thought that Tara girl is a fucking weirdo? Uh-huh. Like her fandom, her love of zombie movies and yeah. like her knowledge of that saved her life. Of course. Love what you want to love. You want to become a doctor of <laughs> shit you read on the internet. You never know what kind of knowledge. Uh -huh. It didn't harm anybody that she liked the zombie stuff, nope. but it saved her life and it killed this monster. Totally. Like what a turn of events. I know. <laughs> And so, you know, Detective Dennis and Detective Julia were just like, it was a good day, man. Right. <laughs> Someone had to kill him. Yeah. And like, he never would have ended. And like, there are all oh. these victims all over the country, probably. And Meg says to us, When I heard that John was dead, was the best and the worst day of my life. I couldn't believe how happy I was that someone was not just dead, he was killed. Think about how tortured she was. I know. To say on camera, you're signing that release. Yep. Oxygen's like, so we're going to use anything you say. Yeah, That's sure. cool. And she's like, yep. Where do I sign? Give me the Sharpie. I'm sure. signing it. To say like someone stopped him in the, like, the ultimate way. So then it's like, so Deborah, like we hear from so many other people. And yeah. it's like, what does Deb think about all this? Because really like Deb, girl, right, Deb, the you podcast got... was made about you. Like, exactly. Come on. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. And she. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say. She could have said a lot of things. Yeah. No ownership, no nothing. Yeah. What she says is, it's really caused me to rethink dating. Pause. Men. Okay. We're still healing. And I think that's going to take time. It's really caused me to rethink dating. Men. Right. Yeah. Deb. Deb. See you at Lilith Fair 2020. You know what? Yeah, Deb is probably realizing maybe I'm just a love a person. Right, totally. And it doesn't really matter. Maybe all of this, this pedestal that I've had, this the white rich doctor thing, uh -huh, uh -huh. maybe I'm just going to love whoever it is who treats me with respect uh -huh. and makes me happy. <laughs> Beat men, she says. That pause went on for days. It was perfect. Deb, okay. Be happy, girl. Be safe and be happy. It's all we want. Dirty John. We did it. Oh my God, what a journey. And it was a journey. It was a journey, you guys. It was a uh, Speaking of journeys, you guys, we are taking a little tour across the country in yeah, 2020. Yeah, we're going to be having a journey of our own. We are. Um, the tickets for our tour are going real fast, you guys. We're coming to a city near you. Get your tickets before they sell. A couple of the venues are already sold out. Go to truecrimeobsessed.com. Mm -hmm. Click on the CS Live link. Also, the Pates, you guys. Lady Pates, the Patreon. Lady Pates. She's bursting at the seams, really. <laughs> so much going on. If you want to hear our episode by episode coverage of Serial, The Staircase, Making a Murderer, The Menendez Murders, Lacey Peters,
Anderson. OJ, Lorena. Yeah, it's so much stuff, you guys. That's truth or dare. We haven't thrown that in a while. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> Go to our website, click on the Patreon link. Join us on the pates. Yeah. Stick around for the after party, get some ringtones. Whatever you want to do. If you're not you into do. it, that's totally fine. That's okay, too. All good. Girl, what are we doing next? We're doing Natalie Wood, an American murder mystery. So I don't know anything about this story, really oh, at all. I know God. that she was like Maria in West Side Story, the movie. Is that right? Yeah. I, th- <laughs> I don't know anything else about her. Gypsy. Some- Natalie Wood. You don't know. How, I- what kind of gay are you? <laughs> I know that Christopher Walken is somehow involved in this mess. And Robert Wagner. I don't really know who that is. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we're doing it next. I'm going to get the education. It's, it's a super tragic story. Like, she never should have been on that boat. She never would have been on the boat. She was scared of water. Oh, God. And, don't, and Christopher Walken, what do you know? <laughs> what do you You know? did the gritted teeth thing that I love. You know something. All right. So you guys stay tuned for the trailer for American Murder Mystery, the Natalie Wood thing. Yep. Which our, I think is what it's called. It's, sure, it's exactly that. The Natalie Wood thing. Yeah. Um, and our hilarious outtakes. Yeah. We love you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. She was a once in a generation talent. Natalie really had a fairy tale life. She was absolutely irresistible. But at age 43, Hollywood icon Natalie Wood mysteriously drowned. There was a lot of speculation, a lot of talk, that there was foul play involved. Was this a homicide? Was this an accident? What happened? In this one-hour special report, we'll take you deep inside the investigation. They heard a woman screaming. Help me, I'm drowning for 20 freaking minutes. Hear the confession that rips the case apart. He sounded tormented, extremely upset, extremely emotional. He said that jealousy over several drinks started turning into rage. And reveal a bombshell 30 years in the making. The person who has the most to lose in this whole scenario would be Robert Wagner. I know what happened. It's just very sad. But that's what's so amazing about Jacqueline. I can't stop saying her name. You can't. Like that. Jacqueline's uh. uninvited. She's like, I'm not going to Thanksgiving. Don't even ask me. <laughs> she, she's going to write. I will come to Thanksgiving in shadow. A formal invitation that says, I'm not coming to Thanksgiving. Don't ask me. XOXO, Jax. I love her. Jacqueline. We're going back in time again. Back in time. Rewind. How is this the first time that I've done that? I don't know. We're going back in because time. Because I always steamroll it with rewind. Eind, eind, That's eind. What I, yeah, that works. Can I just tell you a really quick story? Is it about Daisy pooping? No. <laughs> Wait, can I just stop you for one second? Because Tara gives us um, a Mrs. White. She literally goes, I hated him so, so much. much. 